It's also children's church time, so those of you who are age three through kindergarten can head to the back and meet your leader there. And uh, yep, it's Chris. She just confirmed that. Josh, welcome. Thank you, Russ. And I was just thinking, I'll be honest, earlier this week, Carla gave me the, the sheet that shows the worship order. And I saw a Christmas song, and I, th- I was thinking, you know, Russ, I usually trust your, your leadership. Where is he going with this? And as we worship God this morning through Jesus Christ, I was again reminded, I'm just thankful for Russ and the other, the other people who lead us here in worship. I'm thankful for them, and I felt um, led in worship well. And so thanks, Russ, even with one hand, leading us in that. Uh, we've, we've been in a series this summer that I think Aaron decided to call Worship As It Is In Heaven. And we looked at Revelation, and we had a a brief, I think, look at some other texts as well. This morning we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13. So a text on worship. I would try to direct you to where it is, but I can never find books of the Bible, so... Near the end, Hebrews chapter 13, I am going to reference um, the context in the sermon, but the, the sermon will predominantly come from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 16. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison, as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strained teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go with him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good to those. Do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That was in the NIV 2011. Too late, but... I once worked with a guy at an unnamed shipping company, and I won't tell you his name, but as I got to know him and as I worked with him, it was very clear that he was unsatisfied. Unsatisfied not just with his job, but really with his life. He was consistently angry, and he made that known with very colorful language that I won't repeat. 
He often treated the packages not like they were someone's fragile personal possessions, but like they were weights. You know, and if you're in a weight room and there's rubber mats, and you throw them down. That's how he treated the packages. And he used some of the crudest, most vulgar language, and it's it just very negative about everything. And when I got to know him and I got to know some of his hobbies, it included occasional use of illegal drugs with his roommates. And at one point we got into a spiritual conversation and I was shocked to hear him tell me that he went to a large church in the area. So I I don't know, honestly, what it looked like when he went to church on Sunday. I don't know how often he went. I I honestly, I couldn't tell you for sure. I'm 99% sure he was not a genuine Christian. But I can tell you 100% certain he was not worshiping God day to day. When I worked with this young man, I didn't look at this man and say, here is a worshiper of God. This is what it looks like to worship God. So often when we think of worship, we think of worship narrowly defined as songs and prayers. Often we think of Sunday. And that definitely is worship. But worship most definitely includes a more broad definition of not just what we use our lips to say on Sunday in songs and prayers, but how we live our lives every single day. But what does that look like? What does it look like to worship God every day with our lives? That question is the big question of our text this morning. I think it's the question that the author of Hebrews is answering in chapter 13 of his letter. What is worship pleasing to God? That's the big question. What is worship pleasing to God? What do we offer God as a sacrifice that pleases Him? Now, I want to note in the NIV I read from, the word is, in, uh, in chapter twelve twenty-eight. they use the word worship God acceptably. The word is actually pleasing. It's the same word at the, at the end of this section. And so don't think of acceptable worship as okay worship. Think of it as worship that is pleasing to Him, like fragrance, something that is sweet. A sweet swelling, smelling aroma. So, before we dig into chapter 13, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I think it's essential that I, that I show you this is not just true. This is definitely true. Worship is all of life, what we do with our bodies. But I want to make sure we all understand this is not just a good idea. It's not just my idea. This is actually what the author of Hebrews, God through the author of Hebrews, is trying to tell his audience, these Hebrew Christians gathered together in the church or churches. And so, briefly, I I love this, I can't help it. The book of Hebrews is called a brief exhortation. And I didn't have time, I wanted to look, how long does it take to read through these 13 chapters? I don't know. Maybe shorter, maybe longer than how I'll speak this morning. But he calls this a brief exhortation, an encouragement. And what does he say in this this 13 letter, uh, 13 chapter letter? So first, in the 12 chapters, he, he wants to convince these Christians that he knows he's familiar with, that they need to hold fast to Jesus despite the fact that they have come from communities of Jews who are, who's are pressuring them. Their community, maybe their family, maybe friendships or those around them are pressuring them to return to that Judaic worship, to leave Jesus, to forsake Jesus for the old ways and system. He wants to convince them, don't do it. Jesus truly is better. Hold fast to Jesus. So he does that throughout this letter. First, he says Jesus is better than angels. 
Listen to this. In, in chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of, the, of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited. So what's the result? He says, pay careful attention to this Jesus. Don't drift away. Focus on him. Consider him. Chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 1. He's better than Moses. He's better than the great leaders of the Judaic tradition. He says, no, Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was faithful as a servant, but Christ is faithful as the Son of God, as the Son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Jesus is better than Joshua. Why? Because... For jo- if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken l- later about another day. But in Christ Jesus is the rest that we all long for. The rest that you long for is found in Christ. Jesus says today through his word in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Finally, Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrificial system and priests. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. This is the great and final work of redemption that Christ has accomplished, redeeming a people to be worshipers of God. And what does it say right after that? Why? Hebrews 9.14, so that we may serve the living God. So that we may serve the living God. The word serve here is the same word for worship that we see in our text. It continues now to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Christ has purchased a people for a purpose, to serve and worship God. That's what he says in chapter 12, 28 and 29. If you look at that context, right before what we look at today. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship, serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Christ's people have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will endure. Just be reminded, this nation, every other human institution, will crumble and fall. Christ's kingdom will never spoil or fade. It will endure for all eternity. And that kingdom can be entered by anyone through faith in Christ. That eternal redemption has been purchased by him. The ultimate revelation of God. He provides reconciliation with God. You can be right with God. Have a relationship with him. And he provides the rest that we all long for. All by faith in Christ, you can have this. What is the right response? Worship. The right response to this great salvation. It is worship to this God. Ultimately, that's what Christ has done. We see that in Revelation. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. Why? To make us a kingdom of priests to God. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. So this is more than just songs on Sunday. 
Although it includes that. It's more than just our prayers and singing throughout the week. And I think this is exactly what he's teaching the Hebrews in chapter 13. What does this worship look like? It looks like lives dedicated to God, lived unto God throughout the week, every day. And just to try and finish with this, I think chapter 12, verse 28 is the beginning bookend. Chapter 13, verses 15 to 16 are the end bookend of what does worship look like. So we're not going to reference this again in the sermon, but at the end, chapter 13, verse 15, he closes again with worship. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, look, what does he call the sacrifice of praise, this worship? It is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. What does he call this doing good, this general ethical, righteous, upright activity? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased with these things. So he wants these Hebrew Christians to understand Jesus truly is better. Don't go back. These things are fulfilled in Christ. Not only that, you can still, you must still offer sacrifices pleasing to God. Now, Chris and I were talking, some of the, the kids have a worship worksheet or a picture of Noah offering a sacrifice. You, you have, I hope, never seen Aaron offering an animal sacrifice here in church. I hope you've never seen a leader or a family member offering a sacrifice. But we do still have sacrifices to offer. This would have been particularly important for Jewish background Christians who were familiar with giving physical sacrifices. He's saying, no, there are still sacrifices for us to offer as Christians. What are they? Verses 1 to 6, worship pleasing to God is brotherly love like Jesus. Worship pleasing to God is listening to the leadership given by Jesus. Verses 7 to 8. And then verses 9 to 14, worship pleasing to God is bearing the disgrace of the world with Jesus as we align ourselves with him. This is all in his strength and for his honor. So I'm going to give a caveat. I would love to dig into some of these things more. We're trying to to get the forest rather than the trees. And so we're going to kind of overview this chapter. So chapter one or verses one through six. I think verse one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. I think this is a general statement that then can be applied to verses two through six which are specific acts of love. But note this. He says, continue in brotherly love. Now, I need that reminder. I think you probably need that reminder. Brotherly love isn't something we just do once. Okay, I did my brotherly love today. I'm good now. It's not something we do on Sunday. We need the encouragement, just like the Hebrew Christians, continue, persevere in loving those who are hard to love. Continue in it. Secondly, brotherly love, as Mark Oquist likes to remind me, if you like DC Talk, they had a song called Love is a Verb. So, brotherly love is an action. It's not just a feeling we have towards other people. He says, continue acting in love towards the brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is an action we're to continually exercise. So this isn't just Sunday. It's not just sometimes or when it's convenient. He's saying continue in it all the time. What does it look like? What does this brotherly love look like? Verses 2 to 6, I think, give practical what is brotherly love. 
So verses 2 to 6 we'll look at in a moment. But first note this, the reason for the love. So if you look at this, look at chapter 13, 2 to 6 with me. Why are they to exercise these particular acts of brotherly love? Verse 2, it is, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The reason is because some people have shown hospitality to God's messengers. It is related to God and his messengers. Okay, why are people to continue remembering those in prison as if we were together with them in prison? The ESV draws this out better. It's because for, since, you are in the same body. Now, the NIV doesn't capture that as well, but it's related to our relationship to other people, particularly in the church. Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Why? For God will judge at the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. There is a, a recognition of God's holiness. Why act in love? Why honor marriage and pursue purity? It is because God is holy. It is in relationship to God that we do that. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, if you're young in here, side note, Bella didn't sleep well last night. She's been sleeping poorly lately. She's afraid. What a great verse. Bella, if you're in Christ, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What hope, what strength for a child, for an adult. This is applying God's word to our life. And that is worship. That's worship. If Bella says, I'm not going to be afraid. God, because you said you'd be with me. I trust you. That is worship pleasing to God. Now, we don't always do that, do we? But when we do, be reminded that is worship pleasing to God. So, That's the reason. The reason for all of this love is grounded in a believer's right relationship to God and a right relationship with fellow man. It's particularly in the church as we see that. That is the reason for the love. The love, the worship, is continual. It's not just one day or one time. And the worship is all of life. So again, we're not going to dig into every one of these, but look at what this covers. Worship then is how we use our home. Worship includes how we spend time or choose not to spend time with other people. Worship is how we view sexuality and marriage, how we use our bodies, how we view and spend our money, what we look to for security, and then what our life displays about what we're looking to for security. And how we live out our emotional lives, our fear, our courage, our strength. All of these things are included in this, this love that I believe he is encouraging us to see as worship. These things are all included in worship. And it's all because of God, what he's done. So one brief example. So about a year and a half ago, we were living in an apartment up in Shawnee and we were about to have Ruth. Maybe we had Ruth at this point. I don't remember. But we realized with three people or three kids, we couldn't stay in a two-bedroom apartment. So we were either going to find a bigger apartment or a house. 
So it was a challenging housing market about a year and a half ago. And we didn't have a high budget. And we were looking for a specific area. So this was not easy to find a house that would work. And God graciously provided us with a house near our family and close to this church in our price range. So let me just make a caveat. This is on top of God's already abundant, gracious salvation in Jesus Christ. He's provided more than enough for us. What is the only right response to God's good gifts? Would it be right for me to say, and let me say this, sometimes I say this, would it be right for me to say, my house, my space, for me, I don't have time, I don't want to host anybody, this is my place. Or would it be right, would it be worship to say, God, thank you, thank you for this good gift, overabundant good gift, on top of salvation, you've given me this home, I want to make it open to others, I want to host someone, I want to exercise hospitality. Some of you are very good at this. Just this week, I declined an opportunity to show hospitality, which the Friesens took up. Thank you very much. So we had a, a, a youth minister who, knew, who was coming to Kansas City and said, I need a place to stay. And here we have the Friesens hosting them. I want you to see that as worship. When we do this saying, God, I want to use this life you've given me in praise to you, we're worshiping him. That's just one example. You can apply that to all of these, first, these things about love. But we're going we're gonna to keep moving. So, imagine with me actually the opposite. Imagine the opposite of this. This love that we are called to live out. Imagine instead a people not filled with love, but hatred towards those they disagree with, those that are different, and those that are hard to love. Imagine the people who are tight-fisted with their time and money and relationships. Imagine the people who are seeking. We are set on what can provide a maximally secure life. That is what my hope and dream is. I need to provide a maximal security. Imagine the people who, rather than honor God's good design of sexuality, designing male and female, who can enjoy the good gift of sex in the covenant of marriage alone, Treating our sexuality as if it's whatever I want it to be, with whoever I want it to be, whenever I want to do. Imagine the people who are gripped with fear and discontentment. And we fret daily, not about God's kingdom, but about our kingdoms, about our personal security, our comfort, our satisfaction. That's the opposite of this church described in Hebrews 13. And I want to just, that's, that's convicting maybe for some of us in some ways, we can all agree it would be very hard to look at this community and say there is a church worshiping God. There is a people dedicated to God. Now that's in many ways not this church. But at times that is my heart. At times that is your heart. And we are called and the Hebrew Christians are called to live this out. This is our worship. It doesn't matter how good we sing on Sunday doesn't matter how theologically correct our prayers are on Sunday. If we live lives like this throughout the week, we are not worshiping God. And that's what we're called to do. So, we worship God when we live out this brotherly love. And we worship God, we offer pleasing sacrifice to Him in verses 7 to 8, when we listen to the leadership given by Jesus. So if you look at verse 17, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders 
and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, it's possible, if you look at that verse, that there might have been a little bit of conflict with the leaders in the church or churches that the author of Hebrews is writing to. So it could be because of this conflict or this struggle that he then wants to point them back to their previous leaders. Again, the the author here is familiar with the Hebrew Christians. He's ministered to them and with them. And he's familiar probably with their original leaders. And he says, remember them. Remember the leaders you used to have. So he wants them to see two things that enable them to offer worship pleasing to God in the way they treat these leaders. Two things. They need to assess our leaders. We need to assess our leaders with God's criteria. And they need to heed the call to remember and imitate their faith. So, I want to clarify by what I mean by the word listen. Everyone who has kids, or anyone who's been a kid, knows this. Sometimes we use the phrase listening. We say, I'm listening. But what we really mean is, I hear what you're saying. Like, blah, blah, blah. Charlie Brown. Has anyone seen that? Wah, 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 wah. So maybe we say, I hear what you're saying, and that's the end. You know, when I use the word listening in this sentence, I'm pointing to listening with the intention to act, listening with the desire to understand and put into practice what you're hearing. This is what I think the author of Hebrews wants them to do. So listening to the leadership and putting into practice the the examples we see in them. So first, worshiping God means using the same criteria as God does, to assess leaders in the church and then actually considering and imitating their faith, doing something as a result. So what is the criteria the Hebrews were to use to assess the leadership? The author of Hebrews doesn't say this in verse 7. He doesn't say, remember those leaders you had in the past, how fruitful their ministry was. Remember how many people they drew into our homes or church. Remember how witty and entertaining they were. Remember what great orators they were. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. So Paul said in in other letters, Paul's not necessarily the author of Hebrews, but Paul said that he preached Christ, not himself. He himself was a servant. His message was marked by Christ. He was passing on the truth he'd received from Christ, Jesus. This was true of their leaders, and was true of the apostles who wrote the New Testament. They are passing on the words of God to the people of God. They spoke, they passed on, they taught the words of Jesus. The Hebrews were called to remember them. Think about them. I think this is more than just like a factual recollection. Like remembering two plus two, remember what is it? It's four. I think it's actually more of a reflection. It's like remember their lives. Think about the way they lived. Maybe even think about the way they died. We know from Hebrews chapter 10, I'll reference later, some of them had been imprisoned, some of them have died. Maybe this was also just due to old age. But he wants them to remember. Remember your leaders. How did they live? What did they teach? Whatever their lives looked like, when they saw Christ in them, they were to put it into practice. Now here's, we get verse 8, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Then you get this verse, amazing verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think there's two reasons that's there. 
This is just me thinking. I'm trying to understand this text. It seems to come out of nowhere almost. But I think one, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your leaders are speaking his words. They're speaking in accordance to the word and they're living lives like the word. Jesus doesn't change. His life is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you see leadership 2,000 years later, the standard for Christian leaders in the church has not changed. It is the same standard that was true for the Hebrews. It's Christ. That we would proclaim the words of Christ. We would teach God's word and we would live lives like Christ. This is leadership to be imitated. So, this might also be stated here, a second reason, because of what he's about to say. He's about to talk about this strange teaching. Now he wants to remind them, Jesus doesn't change. His teaching doesn't change. This strange teaching you hear, it's different than the message you heard. Look at the lives of those teaching it. Is it like Christ? So I think that's, this is a hinge verse. But, so there's a call to assess leaders with the same criteria. Are they pre- preaching the word of God? Teaching the word of God? And are they living the word of God? But it's more than that. There's a clear command in verse 7 and 8. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Do something. Put it into practice. Imitate those Christ-like examples. So again, maybe this is a, a call for them. Some of them might have died for their faith. They might have been persecuted because they followed Jesus. And they're saying, remember them. Remember how they held fast to Jesus even unto death. And maybe it's also simply a call. Remember how they lived. How they adorned the gospel by living a life like it. How they worshipped God. And he says, do that. Put it into practice. Live like that. So this week, worship God by carefully considering Christ-like examples in this church. Carefully considering it and then imitating it. Putting it into practice. We are blessed in this church. We have many older individuals who are living Christ-like lives. Not perfectly. But they're worshiping Jesus. We have great servants. We have great people who are generous. We have men and women who are good at teaching and using that gift to serve others. Look at these individuals and imitate their faith. Now, one thing that you can't do, if you don't know these people's way of life, you can't imitate it. And so I think this is also a call. This might have been more natural, maybe, in their day. In our day, it's pretty easy, right, to see each other Sunday and maybe not see another Christian from this church for the rest of the week. This is a call for our lives to be so intertwined that you can look into the lives of the leaders, see the way they live, and see Christ in them and then put it into practice. That's a call to us. It's also a warning. Uh, I know that Aaron has done a, like a pastoral internship with some other guys in the past. I'm not a part of that, but my eyes are open. I let him know that. The way he acts in our staff meetings the way he, he teaches, the way he handles conflict. I can't help it. I, I have my eyes on him. I'm watching the way he works, the way he worships God. I'm encouraged so often. I'm encouraged by the other staff members of this church. So be warned, older people in the church, people are watching you. Youth, kids, they're watching you. What does it mean to worship God? They're looking at you for the example. I'm looking at you for the example. I'm 35, okay. So, verses 9 to 14. What is worship pleasing to God? It's loving brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Worship pleasing to God is, is assessing leadership with his standards and imitating that Christ-like leadership. It's also bearing the disgrace from the world with Jesus as we align ourselves with him. Verse 9 says, Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So I hope that you have felt, and I've felt it this week as well, not a burden, but I've felt the weight of these exhortations. We are called to be worshipers of God in a world that is against him, a world that rejects him, and a world that makes it difficult. It's not easy to live this life. It never has been, and it never will be. It was not easy for the Hebrew Christians. And so the question becomes, what could possibly strengthen us to live this life of worship today? We know from Hebrews chapter 10 that this church had people in it who were suffering disgrace, who were in affliction, who had lost their property, and some of whom had been imprisoned for following Jesus. This was costly. And yet he called them to worship. What is going to strengthen them to worship? What is going to strengthen you and me today as we walk out of the doors to worship God in a world against him? It's his grace. That's what he points us to. He says, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. These things, we're, we're putting some sort of emphasis on foods. It's what you eat or what you don't eat or how you eat. It's physical things. It might have been in some sort of reference to Judaism. They're tempted to go back to. And he says, no, those were of no benefit to those who do them. Be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ. That is what will enable us to worship God this week. Because so often I'm confronted with the opportunity to show hospitality and my answer is I'm tired. I don't want to do this. This is my only free night. Or I don't have the time. Or somebody needs help or I need to spend time with somebody and I'm thinking I'm tired. I'm spent. I don't have the energy to do this. Or I'm, I'm tempted to, to not trust God, even though time and time again he's provided for me. I'm tempted to doubt in my heart and say, God, I don't know about this time. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I'll be secure unless I put away some more money, unless I build a better, more secure life. Or I'm tempted to lust in my heart, to look outside of the covenant of marriage for joy and satisfaction. When he's told me, this is what will bring life and joy. What empowers us to choose worship over the ways of the world? It is God's grace. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Meditating daily on the gospel. Three simple things that he's pointed to in this letter. I've already mentioned them. You, I, am right with God by nothing we've done, but solely by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He died in the place of sinners enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love. God demonstrated his love in that. You can be right with God by nothing of your own work, by simply trusting in Christ's death and resurrection and current rule and reign. You can be united to him by faith. You can be reconciled to God. That's what that is. If you want to know God, you know him through Christ. You currently have access to all the revelation you need of God in Christ Jesus. 
Hebrews chapter 1 reminded us he is the image of God. We see God in Christ. He makes us God known to us. And then thirdly, the rest that we want. The rest that will truly bring not necessarily, not tiredness, but a deep, deeper rest to our hearts is available in Christ. All of these things by faith. When we meditate on these things, we meditate on what Christ has accomplished finally in his work. That is what gives us the grace we need to love. It's when we think about the unshakable kingdom that we are inheriting that we're able to live in this world that is shaking, that will be shaken and that will fade. So, the author draws this contrast now in the, in the last of these verses. That was the privilege. That is the privilege for anyone who's trusted in Christ, who's put their faith in him, who's aligned themselves with him. But there's also a duty that comes with that privilege. Continue reading. We have this contrast drawn between the Old Testament sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice. We read, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. This is verse 11. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So we need to hear this exhortation in its context. How do we worship God acceptably? What is a pleasing sacrifice to him? So we're not going physically to Jesus outside of a camp. Jesus is currently embodied in heaven, ruling and reigning all kingdoms, all nations as king, physically. So we're not physically going to him. We are aligning ourselves with him outside the camp, the place of rejection. He was rejected by the Jews of his time. Some put their faith in him. And currently, in the Hebrews' day, he is continuing to be rejected, disdained. Christ is not the sacrifice for sin. We still need to offer these sacrifices and do these things. He was an imposter. He was a criminal. He died on a cross outside the camp. Rejection. And the author of Hebrews says, no. Go outside the camp with him. Align yourself with him. Join him. Because he is the ultimate sacrifice. There is no other way. He is the way to God. He has provided sanctification. So what does that look like practically? One thing that you can apply from this passage. Practically, this looks like holding to that disdained sexual ethic that God created and designed that Christ proclaimed and preached and lived out and that the New Testament apostles have recorded in Scripture. I've already made mention of it once. But if you actually believe that sex is a good gift of God between one man and one woman, he's created two genders to enjoy this gift in the covenant of marriage alone, do you think that the world is going to welcome you with open arms? Yeah, no one if you're a high schooler in high school and you live this message out, I'm not saying we, we beat our Bibles and yell at people, but if you hold to this with conviction and you don't hide it, but at some point when you see a friend walking 
in what will lead to death and you think, how can I love this person and you share the truth with them, this will be rejected. You and I will be rejected. The author of Hebrews wants them to know we are to align ourselves with Jesus and bear the reproach that he bore. This is our duty as Christians. We join him in the rejection that he endured. So this is a needed exhortation. The Hebrews who who were receiving this originally, they're being rejected from their community. Their friends, their family, their communities, many of them came from Jewish backgrounds. They're losing those things. Remember that, because at times we'll feel like, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to be rejected by my community. That's what they were dealing with. So there's two things that I want to finish with that are the hope and the grace that empowers us to live that way. Two things. First, one, it says we go to him outside the camp. So I'm I'm thinking particularly of the youth who I just spent some time with, how hard it is right now to live a life, not just believe it in your head, but to live it out, to align yourself and to worship God throughout the week. You need to hear this, and I need to hear this. We go to him. We go to a person. We don't go to an idea. We don't align ourselves with a system or a myth or a higher power. We align ourselves with a person. A person who is love in the flesh. A person who is the greatest friend you'll ever know. A person who cares for you more than anyone else possibly could. A person who displayed his love for you by dying in your place. A person who's strong. You know, sometimes you want to align with someone who's stronger than you. A community that's stronger than you. There is no one stronger than Jesus Christ our Lord. You align yourself with a person of strength, a person who's trustworthy and wise, who will never leave you or forsake you. So you align yourself with Jesus Christ, who is alive and well and reigning right now. Remember that. Second, remember this. This world is not your home. If you're in Christ, you don't belong here. This world is not your home. It says... For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This world's ways are like a silly fad or trendy clothes. They're going to be gone and we're going to laugh at them. And they're going to be silly and seen for what they are. They don't feel like it right now, but that's what they are. Christ's kingdom endures forever. Unshakable, eternal. And you are a part of that kingdom by him through faith. And you're continuing to identify him, identify with him as we live and worship to him. So worship as it is in heaven, in closing, it's not merely singing right songs, although it includes that. It's not merely praying right prayers. Because we won't just be worshiping in heaven through song. We're going to be living in heaven, living these lives, embodied lives, unto God in praise. We're going to be loving brotherly love like Jesus did. We're going to be living out embodied lives. I don't know what leadership will look like, but we're doing this all empowered by grace from God. We're doing it in his strength for his glory. As we sang that song, Glory to God, that's my prayer. 
I might say a brief prayer at the end. That's my prayer. Sometimes in the Christian community, what, do we, what does glory mean? What, is, what does it mean, glory to God? I want us to walk away today and this week and say, glory to God means I'm going to love when it's hard. I'm going to listen and put into practice godly examples, even when it's hard. And I'm going to align myself with Jesus, even when it's costly. And I'm going to do it looking to him for the grace I need, that he would be honored and praised and enjoyed by the world around me. Let me just pray that for us. Lord, you've heard these last words I've stated, and I pray that would be true of us. Make us worshipers of God who offer pleasing sacrifices, not just this morning, for the rest of the week. Help our kids and our youth to live lives in a a world that's difficult. Help us in the workplace. Help us in our families to worship you in all that we do. Lord, help us when we fail to look to you for grace because that too is worship. We have nowhere else to go, but you are merciful and gracious to forgive us. And Lord, I do pray for the sake of your name in this city, not for our name, not to earn your love or favor, but that we live lives of worship, that people in this city would know what kind of God you are and give you praise through Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.